to the 82nd edition podcast of Women's Liberation Radio News for this Thursday, February 2nd, 2023. This is Margaret Beck, WLRN's graphic designer, proud to announce our new merch page at WLRNmedia.com. You can buy mugs, t-shirts, stickers, and bags with a new logo that features WLRN in bold new type and a microphone broadcasting our message out to the world. This month's edition focuses on the Dana Rivers case and the plight of women in prison these days as more and more male prisoners are assuming a so-called female gender identity and are being housed with women prisoners. We'll hear an excerpt of a discussion Thistle had with Amy Ichikawa of the organization Women to Women and Joey Bright of Can I Get a Witness about this topic. At the end of the show, we'll hear Sekhmet Shiawal offer her opinion on this topic of males in women's jails and the case of male murderer Dana Rivers and how he killed a lesbian couple and their adopted black son in Oakland, California in 2016. The team at WLRN produces a monthly radio broadcast to break the sound barrier women are blocked by under the status quo rule of men. This blocking of women's discourse we see in all sectors of society, be they conservative, liberal, mainstream, progressive, or radical. The thread that runs through all of American politics, except for separatist feminism, is male dominance and entitlement in all spheres. To start off today's edition, here's Emily Fay with Women's News from around the globe for this Thursday, February 2nd, 2023. I'm Margaret Veck. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Margaret. Nominations for the Brit Awards, an annual celebration of British music, were announced earlier this month, with no women being nominated in the category for Artist of the Year. In 2021, after insistence from male singer Sam Smith, who identifies as non-binary, The awards replaced the male and female categories for solo artists with one category called Artist of the Year. The first year, the new award was given to Adele, who said in her acceptance speech, quote, I really love being a woman and being a female artist. This year, all five nominees for Artist of the Year are male. A spokesperson for the awards tried to downplay the lack of women nominees by claiming not enough, quote, high-profile women artists produced music the previous year. Between 1977, when the awards began, and 2021, the nominating committee was able to honor an equal number of male and female artists in their distinct categories. After the nominations were announced, Sam Smith said it was, quote, a shame no women were nominated. He went on to say the Brit Awards, quote, just have to celebrate everyone because this is not just about artists getting awards. When I was young, if I'd seen more queer people at these awards, it would have lit my heart. Awards are there to inspire. 
Despite the apparent lack of, quote, queer representation during his childhood, Smith had his first number one hit song at 20 years old and had previously won three Brit Awards and has been nominated 14 times. The winners of the 2023 Brit Awards will be announced at a ceremony on February 11th. In other entertainment award news, a man won a Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Television Series Drama for his performance in a show about transgender people in the 1980s and 90s. At an elementary school in a suburb of Norfolk, Virginia, a six-year-old male student shot his teacher, Abigail Zwerner. Zwerner and other teachers had alerted administration to the growing threat the student posed several times on the day of the shooting. The boy's belongings were searched for a weapon, and when none was found, teachers insisted he had hidden the gun in his pocket. Reportedly, one of the administrators dismissed the teacher's concerns, claiming the boy's pockets were too small to hold a gun. Concerned teachers were told to, quote, wait the situation out because the school day was almost over. The boy shot Zwerner about an hour later. As of Monday, the principal of the school has been removed. The assistant principal resigned the previous Friday, and the school's superintendent was removed from his position after a vote by the school board. Zwerner's lawyer announced she would be pursuing a lawsuit against the school. Zwerner has been released from the hospital and is recovering at home. Facebook and Instagram have announced they will no longer censor photos of bare breasts if the woman pictured identifies as transgender or non-binary. The change was instigated by two women who posted a photo of themselves topless on Facebook promoting a fundraiser for mastectomies. The photo was removed by Facebook moderators after being reported for nudity. The women appealed the removal, and the appeal was granted and their picture restored. After this decision, the oversight board for Facebook ordered the company to remove the ban of bare breasts for trans and non-binary identifying women. In a statement, the oversight board who enacted the change stated, quote, The same image of female presenting nipples would be prohibited if posted by a cisgender woman, but permitted if posted by an individual self-identifying as non-binary. In Afghanistan, the Taliban continues to restrict the lives of women, most recently with a crackdown on women playing sports. In an article for the Associated Press, Afghan women posed for a photo spread with their sporting equipment and wearing burqas to protect their identity. Since the Taliban takeover, women have been beaten, harassed, and arrested for playing sports. One woman described Taliban members raiding a women's mixed martial arts tournament in August, sending women fleeing the hall where the tournament took place. After the raid, the same woman began giving private lessons to other women and girls, but the Taliban raided the gym during practice and arrested the women. Through a mediation with a community elder, the women were released with the promise they would not play sports again. The woman told the AP, Quote, life has become very difficult for me, but I am a fighter, so I will continue to live and fight. In Scotland, a convicted rapist who began identifying as a woman while awaiting trial has been moved from a women's prison to a men's. The move was initiated by Scotland's first minister, Nicola Sturgeon. The Scottish government stated they would implement new measures, quote, to protect female prisoners. The Scottish Prison Service assured the public, quote, no transgender person already in custody with any history of violence against women will be moved from the male to the female estate. 
After the announcement, many were quick to point out there are still other transgender-identified males serving sentences in women's prison in Scotland for violent or sexual crimes against women. It is unclear at this time how these policy changes will affect the transfer of Andrew Burns, a male convict who began identifying as transgender in 2016 and was recently approved for a transfer to a women's facility, despite being described by many as Scotland's, quote, most violent male inmate. The menstrual underwear company Thinks has settled a class action lawsuit in the United States, which claimed the company misled consumers by advertising their products did not contain harmful chemicals. The complaint filed in May of 2022 said, Through its uniform, widespread, nationwide advertising campaign, Thinks has led consumers to believe that Thinks underwear is a safe, healthy, and sustainable choice for women, and that it is free of harmful chemicals. In reality, Thinks underwear contains harmful chemicals, which are a safety hazard to the female body and the environment. The company continues to deny their products contain harmful chemicals, as spokesperson for Thinks said, The settlement is not an admission of guilt or wrongdoing by Thinks, and we deny all allegations made in the lawsuit. Consumers who purchased Thinks products between November 12, 2016 and November 28, 2022, have until April 12th to file a claim to either receive a cash reimbursement or a discount on more product. A lawyer for the plaintiffs made clear that the lawsuit was about misleading marketing things put out and not whether the products had caused actual harm to users. Utah Governor Spencer Cox signed a bill banning children from transgender surgeries and hormones for those who have yet to have a doctor diagnose them as transgender. In a statement regarding the bill, Governor Cox said, Legislation that impacts our most vulnerable youth requires careful consideration and deliberation. While not a perfect bill, we are grateful for Senator Kennedy's more nuanced and thoughtful approach to this terribly divisive issue. More and more experts, states, and countries from around the world are pausing these permanent and life-altering treatments for new patients until more and better research can help determine the long-term consequences. Mainstream news outlets have largely reported on this bill by referring to surgeries which remove a person's sex organs as gender-affirming care and calling the bill anti-LGBTQ+. A man who assaulted April Morrow, an organizer for Sovereign Women Speak in October at a Tacoma Standing for Women USA Speakers Corner Tour, has claimed in court he is a woman and demands to be referred to with female pronouns. The man, Elijah Lane, broke Morrow's hand while attempting to steal her phone as trans activists bombarded the group of women with physical attacks. Lane has been charged with assault. The next court date is February 6, 2023. Iranian actress Tarnah Aldosti has been released from police custody after spending nearly three weeks in jail after she was arrested for an Instagram post supporting the Women Life Freedom Movement in Iran. Aldosti's Instagram account, which had over 8 million followers, has since been deleted. Aldosti had also made posts on Instagram condemning the execution of Moshen Shakari, a 22-year-old Iranian man who was the first known state-sanctioned execution Iran has carried out as a direct result of the 2022 protests. Reportedly, over 500 protesters have been murdered by the police since protests began after the morality police murdered a 22-year-old woman named Mahas Amani 
while in custody after arresting her for violating the strict Islamic dress code. After being released from police custody, Aldosti posed outside the prison with a bouquet of flowers surrounded by friends and supporters. This is Emily signing off on another edition of WLRN's monthly handcrafted podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Spinster, Overit, and SoundCloud, in addition to our WordPress site. Thanks for listening. That was Loretta Lynn with her song, Women's Prism. Next up, we'll hear excerpts of a discussion Thistle had with Amy Ichikawa of the organization Women to Women, a grassroots support network for incarcerated and formerly incarcerated women. Thistle was also joined by Joy Bright, a lesbian feminist activist from the Bay Area who recently released an article in The Distance, a new LGB United online publication about the Dana Rivers case called Why the Dana Rivers Case Should Wake Up the Be Kind Folks. Thistle spoke with Amy and Joey on January 21st on a WLRN live stream that drew 40 plus attendees in the live audience. Thanks for tuning in, dear sisters. Hear the best parts of the show edited for the podcast to take an even deeper dive into the Rivers case and what Joey and Amy had to say about it, you can see the discussion in its entirety on the WLRN YouTube channel under the live tab. So here we are. We're discussing the Dana Rivers case. A lot of our listeners already are familiar. Dana Rivers is actually a man who murdered a lesbian couple in the Bay Area and their adult son in 2016. And today I have 
Amy Ichikawa here to discuss the case with us. And she is the founding member and organizer with Woman to Woman, a grassroots organization that's purpose is to help incarcerated women and to help incarcerated women who are becoming, um, who are going back out into the world. And it's run by formerly incarcerated women. She herself is formerly incarcerated. So um, it's really awesome to have her here to talk about the Dana Rivers case and also about her work. Amy, welcome. I'll let you introduce yourself now to our listeners. Thank you, Thistle. It's so, um, it's a, like an honor to be um, here with you. You know, it's, this is very cool. Um, thank you for having me on. Uh, I am the founder of Woman to Woman. You know, we're a very teeny tiny organization um, that is very dedicated to the truth and making sure that um, our sisters are uh, given a platform to be heard because they're silenced on such a incredibly deep level now more than ever. So <clears throat> when I came home, I just uh, realized there was a real huge lack of resources and uh, peer support, and I was very lonely. So I made Woman to Woman. And this case is going to directly impact the female population in both California women's prisons um, that aren't really women's prisons anymore. It's uh, in our state, we pretty much have men's prisons and co-ed prisons. So um, it's, uh, it's very disturbing. You know, you were saying that in the state of California, pretty much today, you have men's prisons and then co-ed prisons. And I was remarking on how quickly that's happened. Can you kind of outline how when this process of legally allowing males in women's jails started? Uh, I believe um, legislation was frameworked in 2019. Uh, a lot of things were going on during the COVID lockdowns. It was very convenient. It was very sneaky, very stealth. The rollout started in uh, January of 2021. And uh, people had heard about it. Women were um, aware that something was happening, but nothing in CDCR ever happens this fast. This is the only thing we've ever seen happen um, rapidly. And the only reason why they're not fully integrated already is because of the COVID lockdowns. That was the only thing that was stopping them from full integration. So right now there's there's 40 men that have been transferred from the men's prison to CCWF and CIW. And uh, we just got word yesterday that there's 79 on the way. And that's that's a lot. That's a lot. That's a huge number. And all of them are claiming a female identity. That's why they're being transferred. Uh, yeah. And who would have thought that uh, people in prison would manipulate something? <laughs> that's what's so crazy about all of this is it's like are you kidding me this is stuff that kindergartners would know absolutely and you and uh, and that we should be teaching kindergartners to distrust these these men right and 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 people are are starting to just blur the lines and refuse to understand that there is an inherent difference between men and women and um levels of violence are completely different um the impact that someone's act of violence has on you is completely different. There's a huge difference between a woman punching me in the face and 
a man punching me in the face. Uh, I've experienced both. They both are very unfortunate, but it hurts a hell of a lot more when it comes from a man. Uh, Can we um, finish up with your introduction and then we're going to introduce Zoe Bright? I just wanted to hear a little bit about Woman to Woman, the organization that you founded and your involvement in that. well, there's, I just have a tiny team right now. It's, there's three of us on paperwork. Uh, and we really, our, our job is that we need to help our sisters when they come home. We need to do parole plans with them and get them spiritually, physically, and emotionally ready for this huge transition. And because of the crisis that's currently taking place, it's taking all the energy to focus on that. Like, we really need to... Um, develop the infrastructure and get things solidified and make connections for them for jobs and housing. So this, this is a real time suck and, uh, but it's an emergency. So. You said it's an emergency. I would agree. I mean, I can't believe how far it's gone. And now here today with us um, also is uh, Ms. Joey Bright. I'm going to bring her on. Um, Joey is, um, an activist, a lesbian feminist who lives in the Bay Area. Welcome, Joey, to WLRN's Airwaves today. It's so great to have you here. Thank you for having me. And she just recently, Joey just recently published an article with LGB United in a new magazine online that they have called The The Distance, right? Mm -hmm. And it's about the Dana Rivers case, which we're discussing today. So Joey, I'm just going to let you take it away now to introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a little bit about what you're bringing to this discussion today. Well, yeah, again, thanks. And, and uh, thanks for having me. And I have been, yes, in the Bay Area. And I've always done women's rights campaigning, um, lesbian rights campaigning, and child safeguarding really came up for me much stronger as an ongoing activity just in recent years because of this mess that we're involved in and trying to fight the idea that uh, we have to actually say that there are only two sexes, you know, there's men, there's women, there's, there's boys and girls and, and that's it. And to think of something that simple and that basic now intruding upon every single aspect of our lives is astounding to me and yet it's something that even though i couldn't think how far reaching this was going to be it's something i've been fighting for over 40 years here in the bay area so you know been an activist been involved in this uh i in the article i explain how i found out about these murders but prior to 2016 and dana rivers who i didn't really know who he was until like 1999 when he was obviously becoming on track for being the Cali- the state of California's like model trans rights activist and uh there was just a just a handful of us throughout the decades who have been warning and saying things like each women's music festival that would come up, for instance, some conferences, some things where it was things. I'm not talking about lesbian culture, but lesbians created these women only spaces at first that then 
heterosexual and bisexual women who were feminists or learning about feminism could come and you could do, you know, slam poetry, plays, music, whatever. We just wanted to have some women's spaces. And every once in a while, a woman or two would bring along some guy in a dress and we would talk about why it was so important to keep the space, you know, only women. Mm-hmm. And then and then before this transphobe thing even came up, which that word didn't really start get really have a, an impact until about 2018 here. But it was, well, not all of us are lesbian separatists like you, you know, and it's like, you don't have to be a lesbian separatist to want to hang out with women and be with women. And you know that Thistle from from the Michigan Festival yourself, and Amy knows right. Amy from all the experiences she's had. Yeah, and men have a right to be, you know, alone when they want to be and doing social things and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Like, yeah, of- and there shouldn't be any violence involved. Um, I just want to interrupt for a moment moment and say that uh, our listeners are tuned into WLRN Airwaves today, and that I'm talking with Amy Ichikawa and Joey Bright. Joey Bright is um, from the Bay Area. She lives in the Bay Area, and she's been following the Dana Rivers case closely. And um, I just wanted to uh, talk a little bit about um, just how, like, creepy this whole thing has been for you, Joey, living in the Bay Area and watching it unfold. Um, You know, I read your article today, and it's just stunning, like, the that the court and the media are referring to this man as a woman and that he committed a a hate crime. I mean, what I would think of as a hate crime against lesbians and against black people, basically, mm-hmm. as a white heterosexual male. Mm-hmm. And yet all of our society and all of the media in the Bay Area and including the court is referring mm-hmm. to him as a woman. Can you talk a little bit about that, please? You bring, up, you bring up something really, really important because nothing have I seen anywhere that he was ever charged with a hate crime. Ever. Is that anything, Amy, that you know about in the background? Um, It's because women were murdered. This is femicide. Women were murdered and it doesn't matter. That's not going to be an aspect that they put at the forefront because women literally don't matter. And the law wasn't designed to protect women or children. It's exclusively there to help men, money and businesses. It's disgusting. But their son was 19 years old, right? So he's no longer a child. He's officially an adult, isn't he, at 19? And he's black. Uh, this, th- this is the thing I have never really understood. Again, no hate crime against him either. It's. I, I mean, this is this is California's get down, though. They're going to downplay this to mm-hmm. the fullest because they do not want any negative attention associated with this whole movement that this men's rights movement that they're creating. Bingo. That's exactly what I. That's exactly what I've been thinking. Why this never was listed as a hate crime. Because of all those things that you just said, it's really important that all of a sudden California has thrown out hate crimes against against women, against lesbians. Forget the women. Okay, so lesbians have fallen under hate crime crimes before. And certainly a young black male has fallen under that. And within the lesbian couple, one of them was black. This is this is the silencing and what you saw in my article, uh, Thistle, anybody that reads it is that the media blackout was 
fast. I mean, it was immediate because as soon as I saw the first article that I saw and I contacted the reporter, I managed to get a hold of him. And he, I said, are you going to pursue this anymore? You know, and he said, no, we've been told to drop it. We've been told to drop right. the story. There's a media blackout. We're I have a question. Have there been any letters to the editor of, uh, or editors of local Bay Area magazines or publications about this case? I haven't seen anything recently because I haven't honestly been digging for it recently because life and other <laughs> things are going on. Um, but at the time, no, absolutely nothing. And I sent four letters to the editor, nothing. And they were not published. No, San what Francisco. About, what about I, observers of the trial? Are we allowed to write letters to the court and say, hey, this whole thing is a farce because you're referring to him as a she and it's a, a significant fact of the case that he's male. Um, can we enter that as something in the process? Amy? I wonder if you could do an amicus brief, just n notifying the court, br like bringing that to their attention so that they would, un well, but this, I mean, that might play a significant role in the sentencing um, because this is, this is, there is no way to, to, you know, avoid the fact that this is a hate crime and you're going to put this person in the prison where 50% of the population is exactly the same as their victims. Um, and she's bringing, up, she's bringing up statistically, though, too, this thing about you bringing hate, talking about hate crime. But again, it, it, this whole thing plays into something else that I know, Thistle, you were interested in, which is how is this all going to impact a man who's claiming to be a woman being incarcerated, being charged, incarcerated or anything as a woman and the statistics that will forever be changed and already have been forever mm -hmm. changed in many of these kinds of, you know, cases. But uh, you brought up about observers. Thistle, I want to tell you, hardly anybody was observing this case physically in the courtroom. There were many empty seats. So, um, you know, that that's a thing. Also, and that will tell you how much, I mean, first of all, of course, people are freaked out about going to any crowded places where people are because of this COVID thing. But, you know, they're showing up to movies and they're showing up to other things. And courtrooms have never been ones where people sort of pack into these cases. The thing is, people don't know about it. They really don't know about it. And they, yeah, because of the, the media blackout. I mean, duh, if you don't tell people about something, they're not going to know about it. We've got our first question. Um, has he been in a women's jail this entire time or a single-sex women's psych ward? I want to say it's, it's, it's a women's county jail. It's, I, I believe it's, it's Alameda County Jail. Um, more than likely, there's uh, uh, it's solitary. More than likely, it's not in women's general population because this is a high-profile case, um, even though we're not getting to see the high profile on the news or anything. This is still a case that um, would result in being separated. Just like I was separated because of my status. My dad's a sheriff, so so I was isolated. Um, they're going to do that for the same reasons. Because uh, the county's not going to deal with this. They're just going to wait until it builds up and thrown into the state. And that's when it's going to get weird. Mm. Okay. 
So what is the implication then of um, him being put housed? Uh, eventually he'll be housed in a women's prison because he's carrying out his sentence. Will they keep him in isolation, do you think, that then? Or will he have bunk mates? Mm-hmm. This, I mean, if if the likeliness of of uh, insanity plea working out is very slim to none. Nobody really gets that oh, it's anymore. Been thrown out. It's been thrown out. They are not. It has oh. been. It has been deemed that he was sane at the time. This just you know happened on uh, January five. Wow. He was deemed sane because he was talking too clearly at the time of the crimes. That was the reason that that that, that the judge said, uh-uh. So that means he's not going to be going to a Tascadero. He's not going to no. go to he's not going to go to an institution for the criminally insane anymore. No. That means he puts him into into regular population, right? going to go directly to CCWF because that's the receiving prison anyway and they've just closed down uh, uh, another women's yard so it's CCWF and CIW those are the only options and uh, the likeliness of CIW is, is, is low because it's a lower security so he'll end up in Chowchilla and uh, upon arrival you know staff are required to ask honorifics and pronouns and yeah, that's, right. that's adding insult to injury. It's just, I mean, and it's training all of us to lie about basic facts. It's a crime against humanity that our system is doing this. Um, here's another question. Has anyone, I mean, don't you wish Barbara Walters could interview him? Um, has anyone been able to interview him yet? That I have seen currently no that I, I not that i know of and i have been looking for that somebody has interviewed him since he was arrested i mean there were there were so, there were some reports of that but nothing that i know currently or recently i mean since this trial has has started it started on october 31st on halloween and amy i wanted to ask you when you're when you're throwing out acronyms like ciw right mm-hmm. so and then the other one would you please say what those are the those used to be our, our state women's prisons. They, they, they are now what we like to call co-ed. Uh, CCWF is the Cal- Central California Women's Facility in Chowchilla up in um, uh, Madera. And CIW is the California Institution for Women in Corona that is needs to be knocked down. That's the only options that people have. That, that That's it. Women have nowhere. There is literally nowhere to run. Um, nowhere to transfer. It's it's a real bummer. Horrible. I also have a question about some of the other people who are involved with this case. Like um, in reading your article, Joey, uh, Sandra, the organizer of the bike club, the motorcycle club that Dana Rivers was a member of, she was questioned and gave testimony and kind of didn't she incriminate herself for aiding and abetting at the very least and has she been charged and will she be convicted or she's not yes sandra carenza is the president of the deviants motorcycle club her wife is the vice president it was absolutely damning to see her take the stand and be a witness for the prosecution 
uh, Abigail Mulvihill directly leading in a direction for anybody that was there in the galley and I mean the court in general to hear where Abigail was or Ms. Mulvihill was going with her questioning was I as I said in the article it was it there was like a well you can hear a pin drop anyway in courtroom because nobody's supposed to be making any noises or anything but it felt to me and I think I described it as palpable it was so chilling to have Mulvihill questioning Carenza on the stand about the text messages that she herself, Carenza, had sent to Charlotte Reed. Of the couple, Charlotte Reed was the, was the person in the couple who toyed around with the idea of becoming a member, possibly, of joining the Deviants. And apparently she hung around for like three months. They called her a hanger-on. And Mulvihill was trying to say to Carenza, like, what about the text messages you sent her? And she was insinuating that there was some some not so savory feelings, not so warm feelings that Sandra had towards Charlotte. Had to do with something like, I don't know if it was a patch or an emblem or something that maybe she had kept from her time of hanging around. They wanted it back. There was this whole thing about that. But Sandra was so denying everything. She would deny everything or she would just simply, you know, in a, in a fairly calm voice, look at the lawyer like she goes, well, if that's what you think or if that's what I said or if that's what you thought. You and so she under oath did that and there were no consequences. Yeah, she's not. This, this woman hasn't been arrested for anything. There's no crime that's been committed on her part. Well, that, I was thinking of maybe aiding and abetting that that might be. That's a whole separate thing, though. And this is the this is the chilling thing about about any case. I've seen other witnesses get in the stand that, you know, they were guilty as hell. They were involved in a part of whatever it was that the other person was being tried for. But they walk away. And in this case, again, for me, because the chill of her, what appeared to be her com her com Implicitness in the entire murder spree that happened. Yeah. Again, it was it was like to the max. Here's the thing that for me and my body, for years that I've been warning women about and being called a man hater and you know and I'm paranoid and uh, you know whatever. Right. Stuff that comes up to just gaslighting you basically. People don't want to think that their brother, their father, their cousin, their husband, whatever, boyfriend could be that person. Yeah. When they start wearing dresses and doing what they're doing, that fetish can go in another, you know, can go further along. Yeah. Let's get to some of the questions that are coming from our live audience. We've got 30 viewers now. Thank you so much for tuning into WLRN. Today we're speaking with Amy Ichikawa of Woman to Woman. And Joey Bright, who just recently published with LGB United in their new online publication called The Distance. And it looks like Susie has a question here. She says, did the prosecution present a motive as to why he killed all three of them? Not that I heard and not that I could get from wow. I didn't attend every single day. No, we couldn't get that. And he never took the stand. So, you know, that's. No, I, I mean, I think, and most, most of us 
the people that I've spoken with about this case that have known about it and as much of the details as we can get, I mean, from the beginning, it happened, you know, at a, at very late at night, very late at night. And I think that the son who opened the door when there was a knock at the front door just had to be, you know, you can't have any witnesses about whatever he was about to do. You know, there was just, it was, it was just uh, collateral damage, I think, possibly on the sun, although his laptop was later taken by David Warfield, a.k.a. Dana Rivers. Um, Dana walked off with the, um, with an eye, with an eye, you know, with an iPad that belonged to the sun. Now, here's the other thing I've been interested in is why, you know, was there, why, why, and what's on that? Unless it was just like any a lot of serial killers do, they take tokens mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. you know, of the stuff that they. Mm-hmm. That seems way too specific, though. Yeah, yeah. That is an interesting fact of the case. Um, Chicana feminista says he hates women and hates himself for not being one. How do you present that as a motive? in in the case and i think that um connects to someone else earlier had a question about well why why does it need to be classified as a hate crime why i mean that would be good if we want it to be classified as a hate crime right so could either of you speak about that i could give a quickie and then and then please amy follow if you've got anything because chicana feminista we're not talking about a man don't you know this is a legal fiction that we're dealing with this is somebody who has been able to enter into womanhood so i think that that answers the question about why this isn't a hate crime because this is a woman who's killed other women other women real women so is that the is you know is that what we're really dealing with here and i think it could be and that's why this wasn't you know listed as a hate crime also you're not going to say anything there's not going to be any defense uh, or any prosecution can't say the prosecutor could never refer to him as anything but she and her. What are you going to say? She and her hated herself so much that she had to kill a lesbian couple and their son. It makes no sense. That's why it's so important to to cast him in that way that he's a she. Yeah, and I just, I'm really curious about what we legally as citizens can do to inform the court. I like your idea of an amicus brief. Um, Amy, are you aware? Is Wolf, I know you're involved with Wolf, and Wolf has a lawsuit in the state of California. I would love to hear about that, if you could talk about that. It's really, really difficult to get action in the courts for women right now. Um, Let me just explain. Traditionally, men are filing a lawsuit every day. There's a lawsuit against CDCR every single day. The Department of Corrections gets hit just back to back with lawsuits because men know their rights, men are confident, men are willing to be uncomfortable, and um, they're not they're not afraid of, of these threats that come from uh, staff or, or that they're conditioned to believe. It's, it's, it's not the same. So there aren't the likeliness of, of, of they're just not used to women filing lawsuits. This is all new to them. Uh, the current lawsuit is just kind of sitting there. We had uh, a new judge appointed by Joe Biden, specifically in this region, because there are so many trans-related cases in the area. And I think it is strongly impacting the movement of that whole situation. Um, 
it doesn't normally take this long to get action. So this isn't normal. This stuff isn't going in accordance to anything that's historically ever happened. Uh, I think they know the the velocity that this is, that the weight that this carries, you know, so they're going to try and drag their feet as much as possible and give um, the opposition a chance to build as big of a case as they can. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it just, it, it, I can, as this is happening, I just feel like, like I can see my fingertips disappearing and then my hands and, mm-hmm. you know, my, I'm up to my elbows. I have no, it's like, they're just erasing us like as in in the middle of our battle yeah that's a that's a powerful image um i want to go to another question that i'm seeing over here um and that's uh how do we or what kind of connection did dana rivers have to charlotte reed and patricia wright joey you you'll be able to talk about this and can you tell us a little bit about charlotte and uh patricia in your article you say that not many people at mishfest knew who they were no, there's no record. And, and Lydia brings up something that is like, it, it's become this huge target of talking about how these women went to Mishfest. Nobody that I know for years now, and as recently as two months ago, has any record of this couple ever having gone to Mishfest. This is about Dana Rivers setting up at Camp Tranny outside of the gates of Michigan Festival. That's what he did. He went to the festival. Here in California, he met Charlotte Reed at the VA. You know, he's former military, and he, and so is she. And he met her at the VA office, you know, here in California. And they became friendly, and he was at some point invited to, you know, to be part. He invited Charlotte, I guess, to be part of. Somehow he ended up, I don't know, I would like to know how he met Sandra and got involved in the deviance. But at some point, Charlotte and he were friends of some sort, or they, you know, knew each other. Whether the couple ever left, you know, their home and attended anything having to do with feminism, women's gatherings. Uh, I've been asked a lot of times, oh, did you ever meet them in the bit? No, no, totally different lifestyles we have. And as I said in my article, you know, when I saw Sandra and I was alone with her in a bathroom for a bit, this is like an old bar dyke, you know, and uh, and I don't know personally. I mean, what you know, what she does in her private time or anything. One thing that she was really trying to put off and the whole motorcycle club about about them is that they were just all moms, you know, doing a hobby. And the thing is, they were very close and they wanted to be like, it it, it appears. And there's an art, there is, um, and in my article, I have a lot of links and there's a really fabulous one. If you want to do a deeper dive that goes into detail about some of the things that were said, some of the stuff about the motorcycle club, you know, they wanted to be considered what are called one percenters. (laughs) Maybe you can speak to that a lot more, but they wanted to have this edge of like, a women's like motorcycle the- club, but we're kind of, you know, we're willing to do crime. We're willing to do some crimes and, you know. You know, and you know, not too long ago, it was a requirement, you know, like it, it could be an urban, urban legend, but there are a couple of men's clubs 
that are one percenters that you used to have to kill somebody to get to gain membership. Um, and I can totally imagine some 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 women wanting to emulate that. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. This is there's just so many details that they didn't bring to the forefront that would have been so relevant that are so relevant. This is crazy. Yeah. They said there was expert witness after expert witness. I missed the beginning forensic stuff. I had to read about that. I'm actually glad I wasn't in the courtroom for that because I've read, I've read enough stuff about that. I don't want it in my brain really anymore, Mm -hmm. except that people should know that this, the level of hatred and somebody brought this up about, you know, hatred is that whatever went on, and we may never know exactly what it was that went on that caused him to stab Charlotte in the face 47 times. Those are not the only stab wounds that she got all around the face, uh, the head, 47 times while the other partner, Patricia, was not brutalized like that. Yes, she was murdered right there, you know, right right next to her her partner but something as dana said himself it was personal so yeah the details of why though people want to keep saying you know did they bring up what the reason was for all three people if you're going to go and you're going to take somebody out in their home late at night knowing that they have a child and a partner this guy think about it He was known as Mountain Man. This is a guy who was a river rafting instructor just 16 years before doing this crime. Okay. Uh, This is not somebody who was a weakling. The man that I saw in the courtroom, who is now, you know, 67 years old. and, And, of course, he's been in prison. I don't know how when he went right in, but I mean, his body has changed for sure, but the, um, the level of, I, I cannot overstate, you know, I mentioned in the article that myself and I was sitting with a friend, Renee, and I thought it was just happening between he and I, and then I saw his eyes shift, but I locked eyes with him and it was like, you know, I know what I'm thinking when I'm looking at it, and he's looking right at me. And then I saw his eyes shift to him to the right a little, and he was looking right at my friend. And the three of us, for a good solid 20 seconds, were just like having a, a competition like death stare. And when it stopped, you know, my friend and I, our hands just touched like, was that horrible or what i mean like the one of the creepiest things that, I've that, that personal story of yours and um the emotion and you know what you've gone through as a lesbian living in the bay area can you talk a little bit about how this case has impacted the lesbian community in the bay area there is no lesbian community and to as of 2016 i mean the the lesbian community had really started falling apart in a big way and of course there would be people that would argue with me and say well i was still going to the bar you know up to whatever well they were willing to go into places where the uh where there were a lot more men that were coming in and i'm not i'm not even talking about men that were wearing dresses or pretending to be women i mean the idea of sisterhood and lesbians creating these spaces 
were gone. They were gone mm -hmm. by the, definitely by the early 2000s or whatever. And what I mean by that is that there used to be this unspoken pact that we just had as lesbians. Like, you don't bring your guy friend you know, to the, to this thing, to this concert or whatever, on occasion, on occasion, and it would be made very clear if there were male allies invited to something. But I mean, we used to have those spaces, we never had to even talk about it. And then all of a sudden, by the 2000s, women brought men to a lot of things, you'd see these lesbians, and be like, why is this guy here? And they'd say, well, he's a friend of mine. And so there's Thank you so much for using your voice, Joey Bright and Amy Ichikawa. It's been a delight to have you on today. From across the femisphere to women worldwide, worldwide to women worldwide, radical feminist media to break the sound barrier, break the sound barrier, break the sound barrier, break the sound barrier, radical feminist media to break the sound barrier. This is your grassroots, 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 grassroots community radio station. This is your radio station. Women's Liberation Radio News. Homicide cases involving heterosexual male killers and female victims. David Warfield, known as Dana Rivers, killing lesbian couple Charlotte Reed and Patricia Wright, along with their son, Benny, has been the one that stuck with me over the last seven years. I'm calling Warfield by his birth name here because I want you to remember he's a man and I refuse to cooperate in any way with his attempt at pretending to be female. By now, you likely know the details of the case and key details about Warfield himself, so I won't reiterate. His behavior leading up to the murders was no different than that of so many other heterosexual men in drag. Creepy, misogynistic, sexually predatory, lesbian-hating, and aggressive. He was not exceptional. He was average for a trans-identified male. That's the point. To me, the most important takeaway from David Warfield's story has always been this. His misogyny escalated over time all the way to murder. That shouldn't surprise anyone. It should never surprise you to hear about yet another man who claims to be a woman, and in many cases a lesbian, murdering or raping or torturing or beating an actual woman or a girl. To heterosexual men who not only perform femininity, but who want to claim womanhood, the performance is so blatantly sexual in nature, their speech and behavior toward women so openly hateful, that it's logical when they finally end up committing a violent act against a female victim. Most male violence against women and girls is sexually motivated when the males don't perform femininity. Of course the guys who get their rocks off wearing women's panties invading women's locker rooms and hearing other people call them lesbians are one step away from killing and or raping the primary subjects of their envy, lust, and hatred. Which brings me to the more urgent issue at hand. We've now reached the circle of hell where violent men in drag are being convicted of their crimes, 
only to be sent to women's prisons and allowed unrestricted access to the female inmates. Warfield has been one of them since he was arrested for killing Charlotte, Patricia, and Benny in 2016. He gets to spend the rest of his life in a women's prison, regardless of how it makes the female inmates feel. Of all the things that piss me off these days, het male criminals being incarcerated in women's prisons is in my top three. Every single time I've encountered a story about a man convicted of violently killing a woman or girl, raping women or girls, or both killing and raping women and girls, only to be allowed into women's prisons after claiming he's trans, I haven't been able to spend much time thinking about it or reading about it because of how much it angers me. I mean, this shit really pisses me off. Female inmates imprisoned with men are being subjected to torture. Period. Psychological, emotional, physical, and sexual torture at the hands of these male criminals. That this torture is called social justice on behalf of the violent, murdering, raping men should permanently render the liberals and leftists who make that claim political and social pariahs. Female inmates have already been raped by some of these violent men in drag all over the country. More of them will be in the future, and it won't stop until the state refuses to allow male convicts to scam their way into women's prisons. That any adult with more than two working brain cells would take these men seriously for even a second would be completely unbelievable to me if not for my awareness of just how much the world hates women and worships men. It's so obvious what these heterosexual male perverts are after. The luxury of serving their sentences away from other violent men while also having exclusive access to female rape victims who literally have nowhere to hide. Every single person complicit in this torture, every activist, every lawyer, every judge, every politician, every celebrity, every person on the internet cheering for it should be the ones thrown into prison cells with these men. Yes, even the women. If there's no difference between a straight guy who brutally killed a woman and decided six months ago to use a feminine name and female inmates doing time for nonviolent offenses, then nobody, including women, should have a problem trading places with those female inmates. Let them. Let them spend a week in one of these women's prisons with some six foot five, 200 pound straight guy convicted of sadistically murdering a woman if he's so harmless and just wants to have his identity respected. At this point, I'm convinced that people who side with trans-identified straight men, especially the ones who are violent criminals, are purposely enabling their violence and sexual terrorism of women and girls. Because they secretly like knowing that women and girls are being victimized by these men with no way to fight back. They believe women and girls deserve whatever nasty things men do to us. They're not just enablers and protectors of these six straight men. They're fans. And not because the men wear lipstick. They're fans of these men terrorizing women and girls out in the open and getting away with it. There is no other explanation for a sane, developmentally typical adult supporting convicted male murderers and rapists being held in women's prisons. All I can say to those fans of female inmates being tortured by men in drag is, I hope you get what you deserve.
Thanks for listening to WLRN's 82nd edition podcast about the Dana Rivers case and housing males in women's prisons and jails. WLRN would like to thank our guests this month for sharing their views. Thank you so much, Amy Ichikawa and Joey Bright, for speaking with us. Until next time, this is April No, WLRN Canadian member, signing off on another WLRN podcast. If you like what you're hearing and would like to donate to the cause of Feminist Community Radio, please visit our WordPress site and click on the Donate button. Check out our merch tab to get a nice gift in exchange for your donation. And if you are interested in joining our team, we are always looking for new volunteers to conduct interviews, write blog posts, post to our Facebook and other social media pages, and do other tasks to keep us moving forward as a collective of media activist women. Thanks for listening. This is Margaret Beck, signing off for now. And I am Jenna. Thanks for tuning in. Next month, we will focus our program on women's self-defense. Our handcrafted podcasts always come out the first Thursday of the month. So look for it on Thursday, March 2nd. If you'd like to receive our newsletter that notifies you when each podcast, music show, and interviews are released, please sign up for our newsletter on the WLRN WordPress site. Stay strong in the struggle, and thanks for listening. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is Aurora Linnea, behind-the-scenes editor and monthly blog post contributor. Take a look at WLRNmedia.com for my latest piece, Femicide by Any Other Name, an Inventory of Unmentionable Crimes, in which I compile a list of women murdered in the United States by violent males who claim to be women, including the subject of today's episode, David Warfield, alias Dana Rivers. This is Emily signing off on another edition of WLRN's monthly handcrafted podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Spinster, Overit, and SoundCloud, in addition to our WordPress site. Thanks for listening. And this is Sekhmet Sheowl. Our monthly podcasts are always crafted with tender, loving care and in solidarity with women worldwide. Thanks for your support. We would love to hear from you, so please share, like, and comment widely. for the patriarchal kiss how will we find what needs to be shown and then after that